Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Fort Crib Flood Sports Show. Hopefully, you guys are having a great morning so far, and uh, have a great rest of your day as well. Whenever I don't know when you guys are going to see this, actually, so that's why I say it like that. Anyway, uh, before we get into today's episode, I do want to make clear that if you guys hear a noise uh, within the audio when you guys are listening to this, I apologize. People are doing whatever outside, so I apologize for that, but anyway, so let's get into today's episode. So the first thing, this isn't about, this has, I don't have any article on this, I'm just speaking on this, uh, because there is nothing about it, Uh, I just want to talk about it myself, specifically about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Green Bay Packers game. Now, okay. Couple of things I want to touch on are about the late the, the penalty after you know that clinched it for the Bucks, and then everyone talking about you know it, it favoring Tom Brady. Okay. So it's not favoring. Tom Brady in any way. Let, let me just say, it, it, it's not. He wasn't even on, first off, he wasn't even on the field at the time of it happening. He obviously was a defense. He's not on the field. I I don't think it has anything to do with Brady. You know, he wasn't on the field. He had to work very hard this year to at least make it this far. You know, they could have easily won them the game, even if it was that, it could have won, the, the referees, if that's what people want to say, the referees could have won them the other, other freaking, other games in the playoffs, he could, they could have won them, you know, the champion, they could have, they could have won them the wild card game, they could have won them the divisional game, they didn't win them this game, you know, they, you know, they, they didn't have, A lot of wins. They weren't. Imp- they weren't like super impressive. They weren't like thirteen and three. You know. So I don't. I I, I just don't like it. You know. I I think it's dumb. I think it's just a way for Packer fans to say, "Hey, I'm pissed that my team lost." Let's just say that Tom Brady get this. Gets you know they're they're just. You know he's paying them off apparently. No, because it's not true. And another thing I wanted to touch on is at the end of that game, you everyone's saying, "Oh, you know the, um, you know the referees they let them play the entire game, then it comes down to that, then they call it." Okay. Here, here's my and I, don't get me wrong, I understand where Packer fans are mad about this. I understand where they're mad at this. I I completely can understand what they're mad at. What I think it is, is I personally think, you know, these, these games, you know, keep in mind, these referees, they're not seeing it automatically in replay as than we are. You know, on TV, it's not as quick. You know, things don't happen as fast because we're, we're, it's on TV. They don't happen as fast as they do in person. It's still real time, but it's not as quick of a movement. The, the movements aren't as... The movements that we see on TV, 
aren't as quick as they are in person. They're a lot slower in a, in a t- on a TV. In person, it's a lot faster movement. So the referees, they're seeing this on fast movement. So I'm pretty sure, you know, most of the other ones might have been a little bit more just, you know, I think personally what it is is it's either that they were high, you know, the other ones throughout the entire game leading up to that one. All those other ones, I think those were more kind of hidden, you know, little hidden pushes and stuff. And those were pushes between both teams. You know, oh, one wide receiver, you know, Devonta Adams would do a little shove to, you know, whatever, someone on the Buccaneers. And then someone on the Buccaneers would do the same thing back, you know. And they would kind of do that throughout the entire game. It was kind of nudges between both of them. And I think they did it a little bit more hidden, though. So what I'm talking about the fast movements is they did them, so, you know, they did them in a hidden way. They kind of hit them. Not really hit them, but they kind of did them to where the referees, you know, I don't think the ref. what I'm trying to say is I don't think the referees really saw the other ones. You know, the game is so fast-paced that that's not the only thing they're looking for. So I think that, you know, and there, there wasn't much of anything at all, so it was hard to kind of see. So I think the referees just didn't end up seeing them, you know, when they were doing this. But obviously, we saw the replay on it. He was hold, he was really holding back that jersey at the end there. Um, he was really pulling back, you know, King was really pulling back that jersey. That one was really noticeable, you know, and that one you could clearly see. And I think that's what it really comes down to, you know, but, you know, I think it's just all Packer fans wanting to say that Brady's Apparently the golden, the golden player on the, to the NFL. No, it's not. You know, they, they just don't want to admit to the, fa- and Packer fans also, you guys don't want to admit to the fact that you guys are just mad that the fact that the Packers, that Tom Brady threw three picks in that game and you guys in their team, you guys' team could still not get in the end zone. That's what you guys are mad at. You guys are mad that he, that you guys couldn't get in the end zone and you guys just have to admit right now, most things, not most things, I think Aaron Rodgers is better. Yes, I think Aaron Rodgers is better at, you know, and, you know, Tom Brady isn't perfect. He's going to be bad at th- certain things. I think deep ball wise, I didn't really see much of it from Rodgers this year. This year specifically, Tom Brady was better. Most of the time, it's Rodgers. All time, probably Rodgers. Not probably, it is Rodgers. And so, you know, and I think what it comes down to this season is you guys also just have to admit to the fact that Aaron Rodgers, you know, despite, you know, Tom Brady, despite doing three picks, and you guys, and the Packers still couldn't get in the end zone, I think that's pathetic. That is pathetic. You're in the conference championship game. Three picks and they couldn't even get in. That's that's where that's where, you know, I think that's where you guys are getting mad at. And you guys just want to say Tom Brady's the special one and he gets treated differently. No. Three picks. And if and you would think that if the referees were really Talk if we're if you really think the referees were pro Brady and um and 
and you know, and Khan Rogers. And you would think if that's the case, they would have called some of his picks, you know, some of his three picks, they would they would have called them dead. You would think. They would try to come up with some argument if that's what the, if that was the case to try and say they, these didn't count. They've called it very fair. Um but yeah, no, I, I just think you know, you, you get Aaron Rodgers, you guys, you know, this, you know, Aaron Rodgers gave you a point where this game really honestly proved that despite Brady throwing three picks and still getting the job done, this just proves that Aaron Rodgers just, he's clutch, but he isn't, he isn't there anymore. He isn't as clutch as Brady. He threw three picks and Brady still won. And he was able to close it out with five minutes, five to six minutes yet in the game. And I, I'm sorry to get on a little rant about it. You know, I just, that's something I wanted to talk about. And I just wanted to kind of clear that up. It really starts to piss me off at some point. You know, you guys just, every time it comes down to something like this in a Brady situation, you guys seem to go against Brady. I don't know why. You guys just admit, you guys just hate the fact that he makes it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you guys just try, you know, actually try to beat him. I think that's what I've always kind of said. You know, you guys just have to try. Your team just has to try and beat them. You guys just aren't beating them. And that's what it comes down to. If you guys don't want to see a minute, Packers do better beating them. Sorry that they didn't score out of the three times. I know that probably pisses you off. It pisses me off just the same that you guys blame them. And I'm not going, oh, I'm sucking Brady off. No, I'm saying what's true. I go, I'll say things against Brady too if he does something wrong. He shouldn't have threw three picks. Those three picks were the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen him do, especially in a conference championship game. Shouldn't have threw those. Those were dumb. He needs to clear that up for the Super Bowl, especially because the Chiefs are going to be harder than Green Bay was. That's even a tougher matchup. So he especially can't do that. Um, but, yeah, there was – I just wanted to kind of get that out there. Um We'll actually get on to the actual stuff in the episode now. But, yeah, I just wanted to get that out there. So, I kind of clear that up. Not like anyone's going to listen to me anyway, but I'm just saying. Get my two cents in there. Alright, so the first thing we actually have to talk about is... This actually happened the last day that I uh, uploaded on the 24th. So, um... It's actually about Greg Olson announcing his retirement from the NFL after 14 years in the league. So that tight end announced his retirement during Fox's pregame show on Sunday ahead of the NFC Championship game, effectively transitioning in real time from player to full-time broadcaster. Olson will join Fox in a move that could be foretold for some time. So he's joining the broadcast booth starting next season. After he officially retires from the league, will join broadcasting as an analyst, as what most people do, honestly. So here's his here's his most notable stats that he's uh, finishing the se- his career with. One of the most prolific tight ends to ever play, and I agree with that. I think he's, you know, besides Gronk when it comes to being a real... An, an actual dangerous threat of a tight end. And, you know, and there isn't too many of them, which is real, which, you know, says a lot about how tough that position really kind of is. 
Um, you know, I, I think it's 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 tough to play, but yet so it's it's so simple of a position, but yet it's so complex. If you guys kind of understand where I'm coming from, but he's heading into retirement with 742 career receptions and 8,683 receiving yards. Each landed him fifth all-time among tight ends, which is not bad at all. And his 60 career touchdown catches placed him eighth. Olsen's career path was an intriguing one. The tight end was as a product of the final years of the Larry Coker area at the University of Miami. Had performed well enough to garner a first-round selection. Taken 31st overall by the Bears, Olsen was seen as Chicago's new go-to tight end, but never quite made the spectacular impact envisioned by the Bears when they spent the first-round pick on him. With Olsen in line for a new deal, Chicago decided to trade him to Carolina for a third-round pick in 2011 where Olsen reached his full potential. Olsen went to three Pro Bowls, earned two second-team All-Pro selections, and became the first tight end ever to record three, or the first tight end to record three consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons in 2014 to 2016. Olsen also enjoyed his best single season in the Panthers' best campaign in 15, catching 77 passes for 1,104 yards and seven touchdowns as part of a Cam Newton-led offense that powered Carolina to a Super Bowl appearance in Super Bowl 50, only to lose to Denver. So there's that. I wish him nothing but the best in retirement. And starting a new chapter, going to the Fox's broadcast family, being an analyst for the next season, starting next season, I should say. So that will be really, really cool to see. Um, yeah, so that would be cool. Next thing here is former Jaguars head coach Doug Marone is joining the Alabama Crimson Tide staff as an offensive lineman coach. So this is coming after a month, or less, even less than a month after Doug Marone was fired in Jacksonville. Another disheartening season. Yeah, you had to figure that was going to come up pretty soon after the 26-17. It was 2017 because that was the year... The Eagles won, so yeah, they, they haven't really been successful since the 2017, you know, championship run that ultimately fell to Tom Brady and the Patriots. Um, you know, I think that you know, a little side note here. I think the Jaguars gave them, you know, you know, I think they they went so long before firing them because. You know, after that 2017 year, they expected him to obviously do it again. And Doug Marone just wasn't able to do that. So I, they probably figured this was around the time that, you know, he should have it figured out. And they didn't have, he didn't have anything figured out. So I think, you know, but anyway, so it says coming after a month again, after Doug Marone was fired from Jacksonville, now is joining Alabama. As an offensive line coach, here is Nick Saban in a statement by saying, quote, we are extremely fortunate to be able to add Doug Marone to our staff. He knows our new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, well, and we, will, and we will do a fantastic job with our offensive line. His extensive experience is not only an offensive line coach, but also as a head coach at Syracuse and in the NFL with Buffalo and Jacksonville. 
Doug has an excellent track record for recruiting and developing players. I'm, I'm excited about his ability to help our players reach their full potential, end quote. So Doug Marone has major Division I coaching experience, leading the Syracuse Orange from 2009 to 2012 before making the leap to the Bills in 2013 as their head coach. He also coached offensive line with the New York Jets from 02 to 05 before moving up to offensive coordinator in New Orleans in 06. He's kind of been all around. Doug Marone, been just, you know, all around the football world, all around experience in pretty much pretty much almost anything. Doug Marone is the second former NFL head coach to join Alabama staff following former Texans coach Bill O'Brien to, to Tuscaloosa. The Crimson Tide won a sixth national title under Nick Saban earlier in January. So they are looking to obviously repeat once again. Next thing here is, I've also talked about this earlier, you know, earlier in a podcast before, so I probably won't talk about it too long. And this was about the uh, Seahawks struggles and what I thought about it. And he's actually, um, so I've talked about this before, you know, when it came, I talked about it like a month, month ago, maybe in a podcast episode about how, what I thought about the Seahawks' struggles, and I literally said the same thing DK Metcalf is saying here. says DK Metcalf on Seahawks' struggles, teams just started to figure us out. I literally said the exact same thing when I last talked about it, and DK, DK Metcalf, which I'm not really surprised about, though it's not a big deal, because, I mean, it's not anything, I mean, it's cool that, you know, I was able to guess that right, because there could be multiple things. But it's also really, you know, at the same time, it's also not hard to figure out. You know, it was just such a simple thing. Teams figured you out. You know, you're, you're going to use, and I think what I talked about before is, and I'll, I'll use that same thing to talk about it here. You know, for those of you that might have forgot, or didn't watch the episode. So, essentially what I talked about how is, you know, when something is going right, you know, because they were so unstoppable those first five games. I think when something's going right, you're obviously not going to switch it. And that's exactly what the Seahawks did. Those first five games that they were real competitive, it seemed to have slipped down after that. Those first five games, they looked like Super Bowl potential. Um, but, you know, those first five games, you're not going to switch your, you know, your scheme. You're not going to switch what's working. So every, they were using that same, you know, the same format, the same scheme against those first five teams, and it all worked. You know, but after that, teams just started to figure you out because you use the same scheme every time. Teams are going to figure out how to, teams are going to figure out how to defend it and work against it. And then from week six to week, you know, week seventeen, it it it, it failed because teams figured you out. You know, everyone thought, oh, Super Bowl potential, uh, you know, Super Bowl potential with this team how they were playing the first five games. After that, they looked like a wild card team. And, you know, it's just because teams start figuring you out. You know, you use the same game plan. And uh, this is what Pete Carroll, or no. This is what DK Metcalf said about it. Saying, quote, teams just started to figure us out. We've been running deep pass ever since. 
Coach Pete Carroll got there. Play action, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, go deep. Teams just said, we're just not going to let you go all deep. End quote. Yeah. You know, they started to play, you know, they play a lot of passing, obviously. The first five games, how they killed teams, you know, going deep to DK. At the time, Josh Gordon a little bit. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And until he kind of got, you know, didn't really play long, but you get the idea. And yeah, so, you know, they just start to figure you out. You know, you kind of, you know, you're not going to make, you know, that that's the thing about those types of teams. You know, they, they get ahead of those, they get ahead of themselves. They're like, you know, we're not going to switch this, but, you know, you got to switch up the scheme a little bit too. And they didn't feel like doing that. So that's essentially what it led to. Uh, like I said, I don't want to talk about it too long because I talked about it earlier, you know, I talked about it before. So I'd be essentially just repeating myself. Anyway, moving on now. This isn't anything real major, but, um, well, yeah, kind of is. Bill's wide receiver, Cole Beasley, has now revealed that he played at the playoffs on a broken fibula. So Cole Beasley's 2020 performance just became much more impressive. The receiver told reporters Monday that he had played his final three weeks of the Bills season, Super Wildcard weekend through the AFC Championship game with a broken fibula. The knee injury listed next to Beasley's name on the injury report was in fact the broken fibula, which likely would have kept most of the field, which would have kept most off the field, but not Beasley. This is what he said in a little statement, in a little interview, quote, it was bad the first game I played, but after that, you take a few meds and suck it up, end quote. Beasley added the injury wasn't a full break, but did cause discomfort in Buffalo's wildcard win over Indianapolis. And I think that's where you're allowed to play still, um, if it's not completely broken. He said, like he said, it wasn't a full break. Uh, I think that's where you're not allowed to play. They, they, you really shouldn't be playing at all, but, um, and it's not illegal, but, you know, the team definitely won't let you play if it was a full break. He most likely hit it from, he, he most likely knew, but he most likely hit it from the coaching, or from the training staff, so that way they didn't tell him to sit out and make him sit. Um... But yeah, that is very interesting. That does make his performance, like they said, a lot more, you know, that makes his, you know, his, uh, it definitely makes his performances a lot more incredible, the fact that he was really playing on that. But again, wasn't a full break, but did cause discomfort. And Buffalo's wild card went over Indianapolis. The pain wasn't as bad as the Bills' triumph over the over the Ravens in the divisional round, it wasn't noticeable in their defeat at the hands of the Chiefs in Sunday's ace title game, Beasley said. Still playing through a broken leg bone is incredible, both because of the mental strength and pain tolerance needed. Yeah, you need a lot of, you need to be able to handle it pretty well. And, is the, and the desire to continue helping one's team. This is what he said, quote, there's no way I was going to miss a playoff game, Beasley said, end quote. Beasley caught 14 passes for 145 yards in, in, in the 30 games he played with an injury. 
and you know you're looking at an injury. That's incredible. But yeah, so there's that, just a little something there. Next thing here is is both NBA things. We got the power rankings episode. We got the you know the continued series of the power rankings, and then the the first thing here we have two NBA things. So the the, the first thing here is Jason Tatum officially as of today returns after his battle with COVID nineteen. So it says after the two weeks away from basketball, Jason Tatum returned to the floor in a Celtics 119-103 blowout of the Bulls. Jason Tatum has tested positive for the virus on January 9th. And per the NBA's health and protocol, safety protocols had to be quarantined for at least 10 days without physical activity. While the team was in Philadelphia last week for a two-game set with the Sixers, Tatum spent that time ramping up and getting back into game shape. He was rusty in Chicago, but that's to be expected after such a long layoff. Good news is Tatum is back after what sounded like a stressful few days dealing with the coronavirus mentally. I can't even lie, it was tough, especially your initial reaction once you find out, uh, end quote. Tatum said about testing positive for the virus, quote, I don't know how, I don't know if it's panic, but you definitely worry because of everything you read about it and hear about how many people it's affected and how many people didn't, uh, how many people didn't make it, end quote. Yeah, like, you know, kind of going off what he said, you know, it's like when I had it, you know. It's like, it wasn't anything I was real worried of, because um, obviously you can't worry about that stuff because it's out of your control, whether that were to happen to you or not. Um, it's like when I had it, though, it was in the back of my mind. It wasn't anything I was real worried about, though, because I didn't have any problems with anything. It was just, you know, the mild symptoms, you know, the basic symptoms. Um, you know, I, I, again, yeah. Even though I'm young, it could, I could have still died from it. I'm so happy. I'm so thankful that I didn't. Obviously, I could have. Um, and I'm just happy to have gotten through it okay, you know, with no lingering problems or anything. So I'm real happy that, that none of that happened. Um, so, yeah, I am real thankful about all that, and I'm sure he is too. Yeah, because, you know, a, a lot of people, the way people talk about you, you would think, you know, you get – kind of, you know, it kind of gets in the back of your mind, you get some paranoia that it could possibly happen to you, and it could, I, and again, with me, it just wasn't something I really tried to think about, um, you know, because I knew that I was going to have a long way to go, I, I was going to have 10 days without being able to go out, and it was like, this is something I want to think about for 10 days, so it was something in the back of my mind for sure, and I'm sure it wasn't his as well, but it, obviously nothing you can really do about it if it were to happen, um, but yeah, so there is that, and then the final thing is the Power Rankings episode. The first thing here is, the, is at the 30 spots, the Detroit Pistons, they're 1-7. and seven. At the 29 spots, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're 2-5. and five. At the 28 spots, the Memphis Grizzlies, they're 2-5. and five. At the 27 spots, the Wizards, they're 2-6. and six. At the 26 spots, the Thunder, they're 3 and 4. At the 25 spots, the Hornets, they're 3 and 5. At the 24 spots, the Toronto Raptors, they're 1 and 6. At the Chica 23 spots, the Chicago Bulls, they're 4 and 5. At the 22 spots, the Sacramento Kings, they're 4 and 4. At the 21 spots, the Spurs, they're 3 and 4. At the 28. 
20 spots, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're 4-4. Four four. The 19, 2019 spots, the Knicks, they're 5-3. and three. At the 18 spots, the Rockets, they're 2-4. At the 17 spots, the Blazers, they're 3-4. At the 16 spots, the Warriors, they're 4-4. Four four. The 13, at the 15 spot, excuse me, is the Mavericks, they're 3-4. Four. The 14 spots, the Nuggets, they're 3-4. 13 spots, the Pelicans, they're 4-4. Four four. Hold up. Is that even accurate? I don't know. Sorry about that, guys. I don't know if this is accurate. I was on a website. I don't know if that was accurate or not. Anyway, guys, um, we're going to take a break, actually, and I'm going to try and, f um, well, you know, okay, that's actually going to do it for today's episode of the Four Court Blood Sports Show. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed today's episode. Thank you guys for listening to it as well. Thank you guys for being here. Hopefully you guys have a great rest of your day, like usual. Um, I am going to try and find that episode, or that, the, thing and then i'm just gonna post it in there um you know in the description if i do find it but i'll let you guys know in the description if i don't anyway guys thank you guys for listening and i'll see you guys later